Hey guys, and welcome to Exploring the Way podcast. This, no, this is a little different than what we usually do. Normally we get right into the podcast. But I just wanted to uh, explain this one a little bit better. Uh, this week we're going to talk with my buddy Kyle. And we're going to talk about uh, the young earth, old earth theory as we did last week. But this time Kyle is a, um, has a minor in geology. And we're going to talk at it from a Christian's perspective of old earth versus a Christian's perspective of new earth. Now, the problem is we do get a little bit caught in the weeds, and we go down a couple of rabbit holes that we probably didn't plan to, so uh, this podcast ended up being a whole lot longer than what we were used to, and also we were having some technical difficulties with uh, Kyle's microphone since he was remote, so you'll notice some technical difficulties and issues in there, and we do apologize for that. You'll also notice that there's going to be probably some edits. Uh, I'm probably going to go through and edit some of this so that it's just... uh, a little bit shorter so that we don't get quite lost as lost in the weeds as we normally would. But, uh, but I would, uh, would say just sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Thanks guys. special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low, net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. The new year is the perfect time to start building credit scores. Because when your credit scores increase, your opportunities do too. Like loan approvals and lower interest rates. Chime makes it easier to keep building your credit with a secured Chime Credit Builder Visa credit card. You can use Credit Builder everywhere Visa credit cards are accepted. Chime helps you build your credit score safely by using your own money to make everyday purchases and on-time payments. To apply, just open a Chime checking account with a $200 qualifying direct deposit. And don't stress, there's no annual fee or credit check required to apply and get started. Start building your credit history and finding new opportunities with the secured Chime Credit Builder Visa Credit Card. Get started today at Chime.com build. That's Chime.com build. The Chime Credit Builder Visa Credit Card is issued by the Bancorp Bank N.A. or Stride Bank N.A. members FDIC. Late payment may negatively impact your credit score. Results may vary. So I was reading some weird news the other day. Okay. <laughs> and How I, weird. It's, it's really weird. And, and okay. I think we're going to come up with a new section on, on our podcast of just weird news. Weird news. Okay. Because I, like I, I was reading some stuff the other day, and some of it was just like, wow, that's really crazy. But this one particular one caught my eye because it just, I could see me doing this. I could totally see me or you or anybody I know doing this. So there's this kid in uh, New Jersey. And he's a barista. I think he works at Starbucks or something like that. And um, and so his normal job is is to do that. But he's trying to get some more money to go to college. So uh, he's been working nights cleaning houses. Um, and you know he starts off with buddies' houses and stuff like that. So you know he's he's got his friends' houses. And um, so his buddy said, "Hey man, you know I really need my townhome clean. You know could could you go by there and and, and clean it up and I'll pay you." He's like, "Yeah, absolutely, no problem." So he gets off work, you know, he get that evening and he, he, he goes over to the address. He, you know, looks for the key. It's right where the guy said it was. He opens the door, goes inside, spends the next two and a half hours just completely cleaning and, and just, you know, making this, this thing perfect. Um, and he's about to leave and he, he thought his buddy was going to come home a little sooner. So he thought he'd leave. So he figured he'd sit around and wait on his buddy and he's, he's got his cat and he's sitting there on the couch petting his cat and his buddy calls. He says, hey, did you get a chance to, to get by the apartment? 
He says, yeah, I did. He said, in fact, I'm sitting here uh, petting your cat right now. Dude, I don't have a cat. <laughs> what? <laughs> but there's a cat with a litter box and food and everything else. What, what do you mean you don't have a cat? Dude, where are you? I'm in your house. And he rattled off his address. And he went, uh-oh. He went like three doors down. No way. And cleaned the neighbor's house. <laughs> <laughs> They just happened to hide their key in the exact same location. <laughs> and he goes in there and spends two and a half, three oh hours just gosh. cleaning everything. Of course, the regular people came home and they thought it was wonderful. You know, oh, they're like, oh, we really appreciate it. You know, we might hire you again someday. <laughs> but I really thought that was kind of. Oh, my uh, gosh. So, yeah, I think we're going to start having the section odd news just because some of those things are just. You can't you make, can't make up. it up. Exactly. Yeah, you just can't yeah. make that up. That's funny. So today we have a treat. Yes, we do. We do. <laughs> Virtually sitting in front of me um, by via Zoom is someone that many of you on the podcast will recognize uh, by name. And his name is Kyle. You might remember Kyle from the very first episode of <laughs> Exploring the <laughs> Uh, he can't help it over here. Oh, yeah. Justin just I hit. just made, I made the connection like two minutes ago. Yeah, we've been sitting here talking to Kyle for 30 minutes before the podcast. <laughs> and all of a sudden he went, wait, he's that Kyle? I said, he's that Kyle? <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah. So, yeah, you might remember Kyle from the first episode of uh, trying his best to destroy my fishing. Um, but, of course, he only harmed himself. Well, I don't know. You cost me some money on that one. Um and then also he's the one. Well, in, uh, hold on, I'm not. I'm, I, okay, I know what fine. you're. I know what you're going to do in a minute, so I'm going to get mine in first. Uh, I said, and then uh, a couple of episodes ago, fireworks and parachutes. He's the one that tried to kill me by dragging me down a concrete road. All the while going just a little bit faster, just a little bit faster, and uh, and just about killed me. So. Uh, so, ladies and gentlemen, may I introduce uh, Mr. Kyle Hawkins? W- what are you doing? Why do you have a phone up by the camera? No, uh, we didn't hear anything. I don't know what you were trying to do, but nothing came through. Oh, your microphone's broken again. Your microphone's broken again. Okay, we're going to take a short pause, <laughs> and we'll come back as soon as this microphone starts working. All right, apparently we've worked out the bug, so ladies and gentlemen, Kyle Hawkins. Thank you. And yes, I can swim, and for those that haven't figured out, my sole function in this world is to torment Troy Crutchfield. <laughs> and you I've have, been doing you it have lived for your... a long time. Yes, you have. And I'm, I'm good at it. <laughs> Uh, you, you know, if that's your life calling, you, you have definitely hit your peak, I believe. No, no, I'm still warming up. I think, I don't know. I may have hit my peak when you worked for Jim. Uh, yeah, I know what you're fixing to say. So go ahead. <laughs> go ahead. So the CEO of this company was this guy named Jim. I met Jim one time when we went duck hunting. Jim and I, we got along fine. We weren't buddies or anything. So one day, uh, Troy calls me. Troy hates to fly. 
hates airplanes, doesn't like travel. If you ever fall out and, of the uh, sky from a parachute, you'll hate to fly too. You didn't like them before you did that. True. But yeah, afterwards, you really didn't like them. So um, he calls me. He's like, man, they want me to go to, uh, I say, Qatar. He said that it was somewhere else. Either Oman. Way, it was Oman. He says it was Oman. Anyhow, he was like, man, I don't even know where that is. And I was like, well, I know it's on the, the entrance of the Persian Gulf. I said, that's all I really know. I was like, that, and they eat monkey brains there. And he said, what? I was like, yeah, yeah, they eat monkey brains there. So I sent him a link to a video. It's a horrible video. Don't look it up. Of people eating monkey brains. So he gets up from his desk, goes down the hall, and tells Jim, I'm now, not going. Now, for those of you who are tempted on looking it up, they don't serve no, the monkey brains on a plate and bring it to you. There's a giant hole in the center of the table. And they pull the table apart at this particular hole and they put a monkey in the middle. And then they close the table and it closes around the monkey's head. It's your responsibility to get the brains after that. Then the monkey's very much alive. Keep going. Yes. So he goes down the hall, tells Jim, I'm not going. He's like, you're not going where? I'm not going to Oman. Why, why are you not going? Because they eat monkey brains there. And Jim looked at him and said, Troy, is this some crap Kyle told you? Um, Kyle finds yeah. that story much more funny than, yeah. than most other people. But but he does find that story extremely funny. I, I just well, find like, it yeah. as, a, as another way that Kyle just likes to screw with me. Yeah. And he's like, yeah, you know, how did you know? And Jim said, because Troy Oman's in a desert, they don't have any monkeys there. Oh, yeah, yeah, that kind of makes sense. <laughs> but what I find particularly amusing is that I've known him, you know, 30 some odd years at that point. He still falls for it. Guy I met one time, totally saw through him. It's because when you know someone for 40 years, you think you can trust them. Yeah. But. Obviously not. <laughs> so the reason we have Kyle on today is not to berate me or to, to tell all my life stories. Um, Kyle actually. Oh, oh, but there's more. Oh, I'm sure there is. Kyle is actually <laughs> a, uh, a graduate of, of Texas A&M, which tells you a lot, number one. Number two, um, now, I say graduate from a&M. That's a very loose interpretation of his degree. And I think he, oh, yeah, I saw the look in his face right there. <laughs> that, um, that Kyle didn't spend all four years at A&M. He, he spent the first couple in the last six months. <laughs> you see that right there? No, what is that? Oh, I, I get that's it. My, that's, that's, a, that's my diploma. I, I understand, but... Uh, Kyle was kind of like, you know, remember when I said me and college didn't get along and they kept sending me letters? Yeah. Yeah, Kyle got plenty of those letters. <laughs> <laughs> but to his credit, he did make it through. He did actually graduate, and he does have a sheepskin hanging on his wall. Now, that being said, Kyle graduated with a business degree, um, but he minored in geology. And so he's a rock nerd. 
I think Kyle figured out a long time ago, they're really, you know, unless you're going to be Indiana Jones or, or something like that, there's really not a whole lot you can do with a geology degree other than teach. So he wanted to, to be able to actually do something in his life. Uh, why he became an insurance adjuster, I have no idea. Oh, by the way, did I mention he's an insurance adjuster? <laughs> yeah. 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 That's, uh, that's how I, you know, no one grows up in, you know, in, in in third grade, you know, during career day, no one says, I want to be an insurance adjuster when I grow up. Right. That's, that's just, it. that just happens. Yeah. And the same thing with Kyle, I think. It just, now, Kyle's dad was an insurance adjuster, which, mm. so he knew better, but he went there anyway. Um, anyway, so he's a geology nerd, and um, he and I were talking uh, a couple of days ago after the last podcast that you and I did uh, on uh, Genesis and New Earth and, and Noah and all that. And, uh, and he and I were talking, he goes, Oh man, really? I'd, I'd love to be on that. You know, so we got to talking and we'll come to find out, uh, Kyle is a Christian. Uh, I think you go to the Anglo, no, what, what church are you affiliated with? Episcopal. Episcopal Episcopalian. Church. Okay. But um, yeah, Anglican, Episcopalian. Anglican. Yeah. It's all the same. Basically the people we escaped from England from. Yeah. Yeah. That he went back. Um, <laughs> so, uh, anyway, um, and Come to find out, you know, he's he's a a, a, a a professed Christian, but believes in the old earth theory. And you and I were talking about, you know, how many Christians and how many believers uh, out there believe in the old earth theory, and, and we happen to, to believe in the new earth theory. And so uh, because you and I were, were just sitting here talking amongst ourselves, and we both agree with the same thing, we figured why not bring on somebody who uh, who believes something completely differently and actually has a degree to back up some of the things he says. Yeah. So I figured, what the heck? So, Kyle? So to fill in a couple of blanks, uh, actually, my degree was in earth resource management for a while. Then in the middle 80s, I guess it was about 1986, OPEC decided to show the world that they can produce oil at uh, about 55 cents a barrel if that's what they want to do. So they flooded the world with extremely cheap, low-quality crude oil. And anybody that was a field geologist no longer had a job because there was no, no more exploration. So, yeah, it, it kind of became almost overnight that unless you pursued a Ph.D., you weren't going to get a job as a geologist. So a lot of people kind of bailed on the whole thing. And I was one of them. So, um, but it's one of those things where I had enough credit at that time that when I switched over to the economics department, I had a, enough hours for a minor. So that's where that came from. But yes, I have always been a rock nerd and I uh, live in central Texas where the geology is particularly interesting. Um, we have a large assortment of rocks and formation. Yeah, I'm just saying, uh, Central Texas is very interesting from the perspective of geology because we have so many different things to see, unlike the people that live in the Gulf Coastal Plain where you have dirt. Well, we have mud. So, we have uh, mud. Well, you do have different kinds of mud. We do. I will give you that. Um, but... Um, you know, in fact, you know, I can remember, I don't know, eight or 10 years ago, I uh, met Troy and we were over in the Katy area. He told me he needed me to help him dig some post holes. 
and he's going to be this post holder. And I was like, no, there's no way I'm going to do that. <laughs> Where I live, you need a jackhammer to dig a post hole. I started digging a post hole and I was laughing as I was doing it because I could dig like a three foot post hole in two minutes in Katy. And at my house, that would have taken two or three hours with a jackhammer. So yeah, anyway, very different conditions in the Gulf Coastal area. Um, so I, I, I challenged Kyle um, to do his research, which he says he'd already done a long time ago, and to come up with his reasoning behind why he believes that the Earth is, um, is not 6,000 years old and that primarily, and, and here's, here's where we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna kind of hone this in primarily to the flood, the cataclysmic worldwide flood. Um, many Christians and people you know and I know believe that that was a metaphorical flood, that it was a regional thing, that it, it didn't actually spread over the entire earth. I believe Kyle is one of those that believes that, that it was more of a regional local thing. Um, the Bible tells us it was a global flood. Um, and so we're going to kind of stay in that realm. I mean, we'll, we'll go back and forth between, you know, creation and this, that, and the other, but for the most part, using Noah as a, as a, as a basis, using the flood as a basis, and probably we're going to stick to somewhere. I'm, I'm assuming you're going to stick to the Grand Canyon area, Kyle. Uh, I don't, no, that's what you brought up. Okay, I, 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 yeah, I don't know. What you, I, I'm I'm going to use the Grand Canyon as some examples <laughs> and some other uh, some other things. But um, but Kyle, uh, we're not going to really debate this. I don't think. I don't think I want to call this much of a debate as as I want to call it a discussion. But uh, in all fairness, I want to give you the opportunity to present why you believe that the Earth is what'd you say about five billion years old. About four and a half. Okay, four and a half to five billion years old, and that this this catastrophic worldwide flood didn't happen, and you have reasons to back that up. So, the floor is well, yours. Well, no, no, no. I, I don't know that I have a lot of reasons other than, you know, essentially, where I come from on this is that geology is not a singular science. Geology is really an accumulation of chemistry and physics and everything else so it's not just one science so I, I i have a difficult time you know discounting all science to say that geology is incorrect geology is also based on you know it's not based on theory it's based on testing research you know uh the entire scientific method you know you you find a certain thing you replicate how it happened and you know that's uh that's what the science is uh, related to that is the idea that within geology there's uh the idea of uniformity uniformity meaning that the geologic processes that took place geological processes that took place in the past are the same geological processes that are taking place now. So, you know, that's why in studying what happened in the past, we can have a better idea as to what's going to happen in the future. So are you, are you referring to the, like the geological column and the mega sequences, stuff like that? Um, I've never heard the term mega sequences. 
that, I, that's where the, that's where the fossil life. layers come in. The mega sequences is where the fossil layers yeah. come in. Okay. Well, I think there's a whole new vernacular that has come about because, quite honestly, I did not know that there was as many people that supported the whole New Earth idea as apparently there are. And, uh, like, well, it's getting harder and harder to support of, old Earth. It's getting harder to support it. Science I, is learning new stuff. I, I agree with that. I don't know that uh, that applies to geology, but like, there's a term called flood geology that applies specifically to Noah's flood. I didn't know that term existed. So uh, I'm you know, relatively unfamiliar with uh, a lot of the things that you've read in the last week. Uh, I mean, you've, when, when did you become familiar with, with this concept? With the new earth concept and geological, yeah. geological columns and mega sequences and et cetera, et cetera. Um, it's probably been for me, I would say 10 years ago, I was probably an old earth, uh, advocate. I, I was, I didn't know. I, I, I didn't care to know it. It didn't, it didn't matter to me. Uh, but it made more sense and more, more people were screaming old earth, more, you know, the, 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 um, I'm trying to think of billions and billions of stars. Uh, what's his name? Uh, Carl Sagan, Sagan, yeah. you know, the Carl Sagan's of the world telling us that, you know, the, the world is billions of years old and all the, you know, Bill Nye, the science guy and all these people, you know, on the TV screaming, you know, how old the earth was. It, it to me, it didn't matter. Um, and then, uh, I got in with a group of guys that uh, kind of showed me that it did matter and started kind of turning me on to this new earth uh, concept of, of Genesis and Noah and everything being literal. And so I started doing my research. Uh, so I'd say it's about six to seven years of, of research. Because for as much as we talk, I don't remember you ever bringing up the fact that uh, you were an advocate of new earth stuff. But, um, well, in our circle, Kyle, that's not but, really much of a conversation starter with you and me. I mean, we're we're that, yeah, <laughs> I mean, we're more where they yeah, biting we, and how do we get there? Yeah, no, I get that. Um, personally, in, in looking into this, um, some of the issues that I have with this idea of flood geology is, is they tend to focus just on a few places that uh, they want to use as examples and, and not look at the bigger picture of processes that take place, you know, across the globe. Um, I also don't really, I, I see a lot of theory. I see, you know, hypothesis, but I don't see any proof. Isn't it, Yeah, but isn't that what science in and of itself, when we're looking in the past, isn't it all theoretical? I mean, we didn't see it happen. So we can't we see it happen. I mean, we, we, again, that's by using that's the where, scientific method, you know, the scientific method wow. says it has to be observable and it has to be repeatable. Mm-hmm. And so if we go back and we look at these rocks, well, we didn't see it and we can't reproduce it and it's not repeatable. So we have to theorize, you know, on today's, you know, the way we do things today, the way we see things today, the way things process today we have to take those processes and try to shove them into a, you know, five billion year old earth paradigm and saying, oh, it must have happened this way. I mean, isn't that kind of how science works? 
No. No? It's it's uh, replication, and it's not based on theory. I mean, if it is, then it's just a theory. It's not a scientific fact. Um, yeah, but who, who was there five billion years ago? They don't have to have been there five billion years ago if they can replicate those processes currently. Which processes? What do you, what do you mean process? Do you explain that. Any of the processes, whether it be erosion or deposition or, you know, uh, igneous formations, whether it be intrusive or extrusive igneous rocks. Um, I mean, there's, there's a lot of things. Okay, let's take your erosion. It happened over millions of years. If these layers were laid down over millions of years, would not there be erosion between these layers of, you know, like you said, windy, windy areas and stuff like that? But there's not. There's these straight, perfect knife edge lines of this sediment and this silt and these these rock formations that occur and and stretch out. And one of the one of the layers actually stretches out over three continents at the exact same height and level. And there's no erosion between them, between the levels. So so taking what you're saying is that yeah, we've got this erosion, we've got sand, we've got water, we've got this. How do you explain these these layers? being showing zero signs of erosion with other layers on top of them showing zero signs of erosion with other layers on top of them that sciences are saying this, you know, this happened over millions of years and we're saying that's, that's impossible. It couldn't have. Okay. I'm looking at a cross section and you were saying that the hermit shale is at the bottom of the grand Canyon. That's at the grand Canyon and over and the, the, the weird part about that, is that the Schnabli Hill Formation over in Sedona is at the exact same level as the Hermit Foundation is in the Grand Canyon. And so it's this hill of sediment that forms, and then this Hermit Foundation, this Hermit level goes all the way across and through that, stops at the Schnabli Hill, and then moves on and continues throughout two-thirds of the United States at the exact same level. Um, no. I... I the Hermit Shale does not cover two thirds of the United States. No, I didn't say the Hermit Shale did. I said the Coconut. The Coconoa Sandstone is twenty thousand cubic square miles. Coqu- uh, Are co- you saying Coquino? Yeah, Coquino. I, I can't. I don't. I can't pronounce you scientific yeah. weirdo places. Um, but that one has twenty thousand cubic square miles of sand, and it's all exactly the same layer across a um, how many square feet over a thousand miles. I would think sand would be very. Um easy to erode wouldn't it it, it is uh and that's what i'm saying there's no erosion layers there, well, there's... it depends depends on if there's any current if there's any water or if it's stagnant water um but yeah I mean, well, well, what do you mean water because scientists say that the grand canyon was cut out by the colorado river right okay that's then how do you explain so if, then how do you explain well the sand and, would have on. gotten there when there was hold on, let me, i'm gonna shut up the Colorado River cut it, but how do you explain that at its widest point, the, the Grand Canyon is 18 miles wide? When did the Colorado become 18 miles wide? Well, it doesn't have to be that wide. It can cut a much smaller distance, and eventually the sides cave in. Okay, so you're saying that the Colorado River was able to form the Grand Canyon. Yes. 
And it, I'm sure there were times when the Colorado River was much larger than it is now. The Colorado River at the bottom of the Grand Canyon. Actually, the Colorado is River not very large at all. The Colorado River didn't exist before the Colorado before the Rocky Mountains. The Colorado River is a fairly newer feature of the Earth because before the Rocky Mountains there was no river. The river was formed by the the ice and snow melt off the off the Rockies. Yeah. So, but. Are, are you looking at a cross section? Are you? Uh, well, you have my because you have my computer kind of locked up at the moment, so I can't look at anything. I'm I'm going uh, off memory. Okay, because um, the formations that you're talking about are actually towards the top of the Grand Canyon, not down at the bottom. I mean, I don't know if that's well. There's a base level too. I can't remember what the what's the base level called. The the bottom. What's the base level called? Uh, if you say it, I'll remember uh, the, it. There's the inner George basement subgroup. No. Then there's a tilted bed. No. Um, but there's a devil's corkscrew. Oh, actually, I think that's the name of the trail. Isn't there a granite shelf? I think. Yeah, there's a shelf at the bottom that's yeah. called. Like, it's called a layer, and yeah. you can see the perfect divide between that and that that next layer that comes up, and it's 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 almost a crevice that goes all the way around the the, the canyon. So there's. Um, the Supai group, the Red Wall limestone, the Mauve limestone, the Bright Angel shale. Okay, and, the, and in looking at those, how do you explain there being knife-edge straight lines between layers and no erosion, no deformations, no changes? They're just straight across. How did that? Well, how did those rocks get there? Time. How did those rocks get there? And then my next question well, would be: How do you bend solid rock without breaking it? because it's under pressure. It's just like, it's exactly the same as when you forge a knife. I mean, I could easily say, how could you possibly bend steel without breaking it? But when it is heated and put under pressure, it can be but these, molded. But these weren't heated. This, this wasn't volcanic. Uh, this was so, tectonic. So, so, what, so what beds are you talking about? Look at the Coconino layers they're all at 15 to 25 degrees, which suggests they were laid out underwater and that they sat underwater for some time because they're the top, uh, okay. topper layers. Okay. So what we're saying is this whole area was underwater. This entire I area. Don't, okay. I don't dispute that for a second. Okay. And what we're saying is that this catastrophic event occurred that these layers laid down in a very, very fast, uh, um, a very fast process. We're talking matter of days and weeks, not years and millennia. Otherwise, there's no way that you could have these 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 knife edge layers between each other with zero erosion. Because if I lay down a layer and then the the, the water goes away, well, then I'm going to have some erosion there. And then the water comes back, lays down another layer, and then it retreats. Well, then there's going to be more erosion there. There's no erosion. It's all flat layers laid one after another. If you take these different rock deposits that are in the Grand Canyon and you take each layer and you take dust or, or, or you know, granules from each one, you put them in a giant bucket and you shake up that bucket, set down the bucket, what's going to happen? They're all going to settle exactly the same way they settled in the Grand Canyon. Am I right? Because of the way they're weighted and everything else. Is that, does that sound about right? Mm -hmm. right. So what okay. I'm saying is if I take... If I take you're, you're correct. 
If I take yeah, large rocks and then I take smaller rocks and smaller rocks and smaller rocks and eventually find dust and I put it in a, in a jar full of water and I shake it up, what's going to happen? Yeah, the larger rocks are going to settle first. Um, that's, that's not what you have at the Grand Canyon. Hmm. Um, it, it's, it's not a, a matter of different sizes. It's a matter of different things occurring in the environment in general when each one of those formations was created. That would depend on amount of sunlight, you know, temperatures. There's a lot of different factors that would go into what life forms would have been in existence that would have settled on the bottom. Now, one thing I totally agree with you on is that this was all developed under a depth of probably as much as a, a mile underwater. One of the things that, uh, you know, uh, from time to time, I'll get into discussions about global warming. And people will ask me, do I think global warming is real? Probably, but it's just an earth process. It, it's, I don't think that humans have made it any worse. I don't think they can make it any better. If it's going to happen, it's going to happen. One of the things, and I often point to the fact that uh, Central Texas was once a mile deep underwater, which is why all the fossils that we find are all of marine life. In my yard, I have what look like oyster shells. They are fossils from the Cretaceous period. Um, one of the things that I find particularly interesting within the state of Texas is that in the state of Texas, the tallest peak in Texas is in the Guadalupe Mountains, Guadalupe Peak. People assume that that's a mountain and that it formed something like the Rocky Mountains did. It's not a mountain at all. It's a prehistoric coral reef. That's why it's so tall is because it was a coral reef under the ocean. Obviously now it's not. Now it's in the middle of a desert. So that's how do you, how do you explain that? How do you explain something that is that high above sea level now? being mm -hmm. under the under the ocean without a global flood how do you explain that well it was during a period when there was a period when 60 percent of the earth was covered with water uh and, and that's how sedimentary rocks form sedimentary rocks don't form just by simply being there they form under the pressure of either other layers of rock or at the very least a lot of water on top of it. When I say a lot of water, I'm talking about you know, being a mile underwater. I, I have rocks in my yard. They look like mud. They look like solidified mud because that's essentially what they are. But under the pressure of all the water on top of it, they were compressed and formed rock. And I don't disagree with that. So, I, in fact, I, I support and agree with that 100%. I just believe it happened over a much faster period of time that it didn't take millions of years or thousands of years. It took less than a year. Um, and I can show you an example of that in Mount St. Helens, where in three days, I know, I, I, see, I, see, the, I see the rolling of your eyes already. In three days, a 20-foot canyon was formed very similar to the Grand Canyon due to the volcanic eruption and the mudslides. So we've shown observable science that was, you know, observed and repeatable. We showed how a very large Canyon 
that if seen without knowing what had happened, without going there and seeing it actually occur, scientists would have walked up and said, oh, that took you know a billion and a half years to, to create, when in fact it took three hours? Well, see, here, here's where I disagree with that, because what a geologist would say is, hey, this looks like the Grand Canyon. Let's take a closer look. Oh, wait, you know what? There's evidence of volcanic activity here that contributed to this. Now, I'm not. That I'm not. I'm not talking very about. Different. I'm not talking about the ash and everything on top of it. I'm talking about. I know what, I'm talking about the layers of of the exact same types of rocks and sediments that were underneath this canyon that was formed. I'm not talking about what was settled on top. I'm talking about the canyon that was completely and utterly dug oh. out by the mud flows of not not the ash. I mean, not not the lava. This were not lava flows. This was just the no, simple mud flows That's... that rushed through there in a three hour period that carved out what was normally rock. It was, oh, what people had, had hiked on for years and years is now a canyon, a 20-foot-tall canyon that was made in three hours. No, that's called a pyroclastic flow. And there would still be evidence of that activity that would make that very different than the Grand Canyon. Okay. Let me ask you another question. So we believe that these layers... In, in the earth um, we'll settle we'll go through 10,000 a million years we'll get another layer it'll settle we'll go through 10,000 million years and geologists will age a particular area or a particular fossil or whatever by what layer it is in in the in the rocks right so I mean if I find something at the Cretaceous layer of of the, the rock, then I can say that that particular fossil came from the crustacean period, so it's X amount of millions of years old. I mean, am I, am I saying this correctly? Relatively correctly. Okay. So then I would that's, ask... That's, that's not 100%. There, there are other things that can happen, but, but yeah. Okay, but, but we have these layers that, that we, we say, this one happened this time ago, this was 5 million years ago, this was 3 million years ago, this was 2 million years ago. We have these layers in the rock... Right that we agree are all laid down at specific times in the earth, right? Okay. Then how do we explain polystrate trees? <laughs> That's something that you've just learned about. What, what's a polystrate tree? A polystrate tree is a petrified tree that goes through multiple layers of, of, uh, of sediment. In a normal situation where a geologist would say we, we've got five million years of layers here we've got a petrified tree that goes right through the middle of it and each layer stops at that tree so it's a, pet, a tree that was petrified that goes through multiple layers and when i say multiple i'm talking millions of years of of what geologists are claiming to be layers okay so so how and many there's, examples there's, of that there's thousands and thousands oh, really? of these oh really look it up look up polystrate tree look, look it up right now so, well, I, I'm familiar with the, with the idea that especially flood geologists have issues with sedimentary beds that have folded. And, you know, they'll say, hey, how can this is in reverse order? How can this be? Well, there are forces that will cause beds. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. 
But you're the filet fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. To flip. And they're actually fairly common in the Gulf Coast from upheaval of salt domes. It will happen in other places where there's, uh, I don't want to say volcanic, but when there, where there's magma, where magma will cause your, your microphone went out again. Hey, let's let's uh, take a break real quick because I got to get a commercial in. Let's take a break. I got to get a commercial in. Justin, um, you're not much of a coffee drinker, are you? Actually, I am. Oh, are you now? Oh, very much. Okay. Um, do you like the fruity coffees? No. Yeah. I drink black. Some of stuff. some of my most favorite memories are my dad and my dad was not a coffee drinker by any means, but my dad would take me to these coffee shops and we would hang out with his buddies. Uh and my dad was a cop. So yeah. I mean you you can relate. Uh and they would sit around and just tell stories, you know. Yeah. But, but they would sit around this nice quaint little coffee shop, you know, and most of the guys were drinking coffee, he was drinking a coke. Um and, and they would just enjoy, you know, and it was just a nice time. Nowadays, you know, we've got these Starbucks and these fancy frou-frou coffee shops that, you know, you walk in, there's 10 million people in there, and, and it's just, it's this modern thing. There's a, a new uh, coffee bar here in Katy um, that kind of brings back the old flavor, man. It's okay. it's actually in a house uh, huh. in old Katy. It's actually right across the street from the police department. I know that one. The name of it is called the Coffee Bar. Yep. Um friend of mine named Penny owns that and she just opened it not too long ago and it's it's literally a living room feeling uh you know you walk in you get your coffee now they do have the double cappuccino espressos with lemon twist garbage that some people (laughs) drink and if you drink that I apologize for calling it garbage but uh (coughs) but she also just has coffee and the beauty that I like about this shop is it's just a nice place to sit Hmm. You're literally sitting on a couch in a living room. Can you go in the kitchen and make yourself a sandwich? And uh, you know, I, I don't know about that. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure if you wanted to, you, but I don't know that there's any ham in the refrigerator. So, ham and coffee. That ham goes and coffee. It just, just sounds wonderful, doesn't Man. it? My uh, grandma used to mix lukewarm coffee with lukewarm Coca-Cola, and she would drink it. I mean, twenty, thirty years. That doesn't even sound appealing at we, all. We, we were addicted to. Sugar and cokes as kids, and yeah. we wouldn't go ten foot from. No, no, no. <laughs> it's well, disgusting. I, I remember sitting in my, my grandmother's kitchen the first time she gave me coffee, and it was it was mainly milk and yeah, sugar. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and the coffee just kind of turned it a little creamy color, yep. you know. Um, and that 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 was my first first hit of coffee. Of course, they they quickly realized that was a dumb idea for a kid with severe ADHD <laughs> uh, to give him coffee. That yeah. was just stupid. Um, but anyway. Uh, I would encourage you, if you're here in the Katy area, to go by the coffee bar. Uh, the address is 1933 East Avenue here in Katy. It's right across the street from uh, from the police department. It's a real nice place. Uh, they have a, a, a Facebook page called The Coffee Bar, and you can follow them on Instagram at The Coffee Bar. That's C-O-F-F-E-E-B-A-R-R. I encourage you to go see Penny. Tell her that we sent you. 
and give her uh, the code the way, and she'll give you ten percent off your total purchase. That's very cool. All right, see y'all there. All right, Kyle, where were we? We were talking about poly straight trees. Yeah, well, yeah, okay, I, yeah. I thought you were saying straight, S-T-R-A-I-G-H-T. It's like strata, poly strat. Yeah, poly, S-T-R-A-T-E, poly strata, poly straight, yeah. however you want to pronounce it, but yeah. Yeah. Uh, it, it goes through multiple layers. So, and here's the problem. So at the bottom layer is the root. So this isn't something that was tumbled up into a volcano or something like this. We're talking about at the bottom of this layer, the, mm-hmm. you know, is the root of the tree that grows mm-hmm. up and, you know, basically these other layers form up against it. Uh, that they're supposedly so, millions of years old. So how is that even possible? Well, you were saying a minute ago, you were talking about rapid deposition of sediment. I think in, in these cases, that's probably what occurred. I mean, it could be from either a cliff caving in and burying the tree. It could be from volcanic activity that covered with material. Um, there's, in looking at it, it doesn't look like these, it looks like these end at one layer and actually are standing through a single layer. Not, not the ones I, I mean, I, I've seen, I, I know what you, 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 there are examples of those, but the ones I'm more thinking of are the ones that geologists themselves have gone out and tested the lower level, lower layer and say, okay, this, this rock is, you know, 32 billion years old and then they test the layer above it. Well, this rock is, you know, 20 billion years old and they test above and the further they get above this tree, they keep working their way up that this, basically this layer is about 10 billion years from the bottom to the top. And yet this tree somehow was able to stand up between all these layers and never decay, never rot, never fall over. And yet all of these layers were able to be laid up next to it and continue. I mean, and they go on one side of the tree, they stop and then they continue on the other side of the tree uh, and they go all the way around the tree. So it's, it's not something yeah. that folded or, or, you know, some tectonic no. shift. It's, it's the I tree are, grew I there. These, I think these are trees that were buried and, at one time, um, you said yourself, but that doesn't go along with the science. That, that, and, and, and I mean, what you're saying is, I agree with you the way you're saying it, it was all at one time, but the science, your, your geological cohorts are saying that the bottom layer on these trees is billions of years older than the top of these trees than the layers at the top of these trees. I mean, millions that, thousands that would, whatever you want to call it how does a tree last that long they decay they fall over they don't just stand up and stay and wait for 10,000 years for things to you know no i think they were rapidly buried i think i agree with you 100% <laughs> so now we're getting somewhere okay. <laughs> i totally 100% but, uh, agree with you yeah but i think they were rapidly buried and then they sat there for a very long time and I totally understand and agree with you. I think they sat there for about 4,000 years. Kyle, isn't that how um, petrifying happens is when something um, is encased in the right materials that causes it to Absolutely. solidify? Okay. It's, uh, and it has to have the, the correct chemicals, which this is where the chemistry part of geology comes in, is you can't, you can't just bury things in, in anything and get petrification. You know, or you fossils have to have the right because yeah 
Well, yeah, correct. And and the little well, thing about fossils, uh, especially the sea creatures, is that they're really rich in calcium to begin with. So if they're in an area where there's a lot of other creatures that have lots of calcium, then that's you know what will. Well, that and and I mean, doesn't it have to be something that would be rapidly buried? Otherwise, predation would would uh, overtake most of these things. Not necessarily. And I'm not talking about the nautilus shells them. and this, that, and the other. I'm talking about the soft-bodied creatures that we find a lot of of, uh, of fossils of these soft-bodied creatures that predation would have destroyed them long before they were able to fossilize. You're talking about soft bodies. Yeah, let's let's talk about the dinosaurs. Body. Let's talk about the dinosaurs. <laughs> okay, there's there's no flesh. I really? Mean, the only place that really the only places that you find flesh preserved. As if it was preserved in ice. Mm, no, uh, let's back up there. <laughs> okay. Do your research because they have recently found, uh, and I wish I could remember which mountain it was on, uh, but it's one of these mega beds, uh, one of these mega beds where they find just hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of preserved dinosaurs. Like in a tar pit? No, not a tar pit. No, this is on a mountain. Uh, I think it's in uh, Wyoming or something. I, I want to say Wyoming too. And they pulled up this uh, dinosaur. I don't remember which exactly one it was, but they found uh, the front horn of this of this t- uh, Triceratops. And they found one of the front horns of the Triceratops. And they pulled it out. Unfortunately, when they pulled it out, it was it was barely barely fossilized. So when they pulled it out, it kind of broke apart. As they broke it apart, they started putting it under a microscope. And guess what they found? They found skin. They found pliable tissue. And and again. Don't take my word for it. Please look this up. Um, and the more they examined it under the microscope, the more they were finding more and more pliable tissue, such as skin, sinew, tendons, etc., in this uh, fossilized triceratops that they identified as exactly what it was because the rest of it was there. So if it's billions of years old, how in the world would that tissue survive those billions of years? Well. The triceratops wouldn't be billions of years. I mean, again, according to science, it is. Even, I know even, that your yours no. is a little different. So, when do you no, think the dinosaurs no. went out? Um, I could look that up, but it was uh, at the end of the Cretaceous period, which was several hundred thousand, or a couple hundred thousand years ago. So, there's a huge difference between billions and hundreds of thousands. Look that up. You're, you're sitting right there at the computer, because my understanding of science is that. Um, the 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 dinosaurs were died out of a of a what what science wants to say a meteor that, that hit the earth like five billion years ago or something. It was sixty five million. Sixty five million. Okay, let's let's go with sixty five yes. million. Okay, let's go with that. Sixty five million. I, my B's and my M's are getting mixed up. Okay, sixty five million. But if if all the dinosaurs died out sixty five million years at, ago. Yeah, 65 million years ago at the end of the Cretaceous period. Okay, so 65 million years ago, how does skin and bone and and tissue survive 65 million years? All I can tell you is if if what you're telling me is is correct, that's the only case I've ever heard of, soft tissue being preserved. There's a huge study. It's it's gone throughout the entire scientific community. They're they're studying it. But, and then my next question would be, how do we have all these mass graves that are fully preserved? We have all these mass graves of, of not just dinosaurs, but, but other, you know, uh, mammal creatures. We have these mass graves that they're all mixed together. 
including the dinosaurs, but we're also talking about, you know, animals that are still here, uh, lions and tigers and bears, oh my, um, that all are in these mass graves, through, and, and you can find them in belts across the U.S., where all these bones and everything are found that are perfectly preserved. How, how do we do that if it wasn't a cataclysmic event that was fairly recent? Well, it was a cataclysmic event for that animal. I agree, but I'm talking about, but, but, but the problem is if, if an animal just dies, it's not going to create a fossil. Yeah. Chances are it's going to get eaten and, and but, decay and, and go away. So what I'm saying is these animals had to die and then be quickly buried and then be quickly pressurized, which doesn't that okay, so, make perfect sense for a flood? So what I'm looking at here is talking about a dinosaur that was found inside of a mine in Alberta, Canada. Okay. Is that the one that you're talking about? No. Because this is where they, they found skin. No, that's not the one I'm talking uh, about. This one was found on top of a mountain. It was in the U.S. And I, I think Justin's right. I think it was somewhere in Wyoming. And it was a Triceratops. Uh, they, they identified it. Um, and as they put it under the micro uh, under the microscope, they, they started finding tissue. And they, they went to the cellular level and found cellular. T- it wasn't just some gooey substance they found. They went to the cellular level and found that it was indeed uh, skin. Yeah, the only one I'm finding is this one. In, um, and they say it was mummified. I can send it to you. But, um, but, um, but my question Going you, back to what you were asking... I know that, for example, in California, there's the La Brea tar pits um, where mm. animals have wandered into yeah. tar pits. That's different. That, that's and, a different uh, situation. Yeah, I mean that's 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 chemically preserved. That's not necessarily normally preserved. I mean, you, you've got you know uh, petroleum products that basically preserve that. Uh, I'm talking about just an animal that just dies and, and lays over. Um, in order for it to be fossilized. It's going to have to die. It's going to have to be immediately covered. And then it's Mm -hmm. going to have to have certain pressures on top of it that Mm -hmm. are going to preserve it to a point that it can fossilize so that the calcium and everything else can fossilize. And doesn't that make perfect sense for a catastrophic worldwide flood? So, yeah. And, you know, I'm not saying that there hasn't been floods and periods where water was deep. In a lot of places, um, I I just don't know that it was a singular event. But the Bible says it was. I don't disagree with that. You don't disagree with the Bible, or you don't disagree with that's what it says. I don't. I don't disagree that that's what it says. Okay, but you don't necessarily agree with it. Not necessarily. And you don't necessarily agree that. The Earth was made in six days, about six thousand, seven thousand years ago. Well, that's again, that's a that's a. Well, you and I talked about that the other day. We did. That's why I'm asking you because I already know your answer. The, the, the Hebrew translation and, and all of that. Well, the Hebrew, so, the Hebrew, I don't know. the Hebrew word is Yom. That's the word, uh, and it's used four hundred and ten times in Genesis, and it's used two thousand three hundred and one times in the Old Testament. And every time it's used, it's used as a singular 24-hour day. So the term Yom, which is used as day one, is the day that's used in the word in, in the translation of Genesis, which means a day. Oops, same with 
every time there was a verse with the word day or yom with evening or morning or day Correct. or night in the same sentence, it always referred to a 24-hour period. Correct. Uh, Everywhere else in the entire Bible. Correct. That's what I said. 410 times just in Genesis. Yeah. Uh, and many times it was used with the words, like you said, morning and evening. And many times it was used as a day. Now, there are other times that yom is used. Yom, yom is used um, to to represent uh, like Yom Kippur, okay, the Day of Atonement. So that's not a specific day. But anytime it's used with a number or it's used with an evening and morning, it's a 24-hour literal day. Your microphone's off again. What the Bible says is that God created the, the earth uh, in Yom 6, six days, okay? Um, and on the seventh day, he rested. And the reason God did that was because uh, he set a precedence for the Hebrew nation. He set a precedence for man to work for six days and rest on the seventh. Because, I mean, we all can agree that God could have done it in the blink of an eye if he wanted to. Uh, I mean, he could have done it all in one day and, and said, hey, I'm done. Drop the mic. We're over. But he did it in a certain direction, a certain way, for several reasons. One, so that... Did, did you just say God would have just dropped the mic? That's and right. Just drop the mic and walk away. Is that done? <laughs> After he created it, yeah, he would have dropped it. Yeah, he just <laughs> snapped his finger. Look, there <laughs> it is. Yeah. Drop the mic. We're done. Maybe throw out a peace out. That's right. Peace yeah. out, brother. <laughs> West side. Uh, <laughs> hey, God had a sense of humor. Um, so... You know, he, he, he did that in a certain order, in a certain way, so that it would make sense. And so that when we looked at it in the text, we see that it, it's a perfect way to, of creation. Because if we didn't create the space, I mean, you know, when, when God said, let there be light, okay, he did three things. He created space, he created matter, and he created time. Because what good would space be if we had nothing to put in it? What good would time be if we had nothing to, to, to take time in? And what good would matter be if we had no space to put it in? So in one sentence, he created time, space, and matter. And then he went on to create everything that followed after that in a certain sequence that made perfect sense and perfect order because one could not live without the other. So as he began to create the earth and as he began to create the mountains and as he began to create the seas and as he began to create the birds and the fishes and, the, and eventually the animals and the insects and last but not least, man, everything depended on each other in order to survive. So there was no way he could have, he could have done it in any other order other than to, like I said, drop the mic and just create it all at once. So there was no other way to do that. And yet that was written over 4,000 years ago how in the world would we know that? How in the world would somebody just writing something randomly down would know to put it in that order? Well, I don't think the order was random. I mean. Me neither. Yeah. <laughs> Me neither. I mean. <laughs> and, and according to yeah. the text and according to the Hebrew translation, it was in six literal 24-hour days. And it had to be because day three, he created vegetation and trees and shrubs and everything else. But it wasn't until day five that he created animals and insects. And insects, what do they do? They, they, they pollinate. pollinate. Yep. And so even if it was millions, billions of years, and we technically believe the Bible because at least the Bible is generally true, 
those things wouldn't have survived. Exactly. Yeah, if he would have created vegetation one billion years and then you know another billion years created the insects, well, the vegetation would have already died off because there was nothing to pollinate yeah. it. Uh, and then if he would have created the animals before he created the insects, well, then the animals would have died off because they had nothing to eat. So it was a perfect order. And it was written 4,000 years ago before we knew what that perfect order should have been. I mean, we could look at it now and go, oh, yeah, that's perfect. Yeah, absolutely. 4,000 years ago, we didn't know that. 4,000 years ago, we had no idea that bumblebees and, and things pollinated and, and, you know, made trees grow. We had no idea of that. So how could the author have made it up, number one? Number two, how could it not have been a literal day since all of this ecosystem uh, relied on itself to survive? And if we agree that God is God, and we agree that God created the earth, then why do we not agree when he did it? Are you asking me? Yeah, I'm asking you. I I, I, I don't disagree with any of that. Um, and none of that really is part of geology. I don't it is, but say, because, oh, because and I'll tell, you, yeah. I'll tell you why it is. So if I paint a perfect, and, and Justin can, can, can describe this much better than I can, and, <coughs> and I'll ask him to in a minute. If I paint a perfect picture of the Grand Canyon and I, and I paint it absolutely perfect with every single detail in it and on my last brush stroke, yes? Will it have happy trees? It'll have happy little trees and a happy, <laughs> happy little bush. Happy clouds. Happy little clouds. <laughs> just, just so everyone knows. Shout out to Bob Ross. Was, yeah, the, the sun in the little just, corner I of the page. Yeah, yeah, everybody does that. I was with Troy in probably 1988 when we drove about 50 miles to a new place called Hobby Lobby. Yeah, it was Ooh. new back then. Yeah, it was new back then. Because Hobby Lobby had the complete Bob Ross beginner set. <laughs> they did? <laughs> and I was into it. I bet. Now, Bob Ross has been dead for years at this point, but... Uh, but the joy of painting was still, still now, Hey, I heard a story and, and it's, it's a true story about Bob Ross. Did you know that he used to be an air force drill sergeant? What? Seriously. He used to wake up and scream at people all day, every day. That's what, that was his job. He was an air force drill sergeant for like 30 years. Did That's we verify that he yelled? I yes. Would, I would yeah. Just... Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It, 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 so, so I've been listening to another podcast that you guys may want to listen to. It's uh, from Mike Rowe, the guy from Dirty yep. Jobs, and it's uh, it's stories called "The Way I Heard It," and it's it's all about these little you know Paul Harvey type stories, you know, and that's the way. Instead of him saying you know, and that's the rest of the story, he goes, "That's the way I heard it." But uh, and it was it was about Bob Ross, and it was all about how Bob Ross used to be this drill sergeant that would wake up every morning screaming at his troops, kidding, and he finally retired from the Air Force. Says, "I don't want to yell anymore." I, I and so the Bob Ross we all know was the Afro-headed guy who whispered all the time and painted happy little trees <laughs> and nice little bushes. And we never heard him yell. We never heard him. You know, the worst it was, he would beat that, that yeah. you know, beat the devil out of those, yeah, those paint devils. He'd beat all the little devils <laughs> out of the paintbrush. You know, that was the worst we ever heard of Bob Ross. Yeah. Uh, anyway, let's say I Bob Ross the perfect Grand Canyon and 
it's it's exactly perfect. And the last bus stoke, and I put it up on the wall, and I say, Kyle, how old is that painting? What would your answer be? Uh, your your microphone's dead. Yeah, ten minutes. Okay. Ten minutes. So the, so the painting's ten minutes old, but what does it represent? Um, millions of years. Millions of years. <laughs> It's 10 minutes old, but it represents millions of years. So if God was going to paint something <coughs> and create something, would he create it to look like it was 10 minutes old, or would he create it to look like it was millions of years old? He would create it the way he wanted to. He would create it to where it worked. It wouldn't work if it was 10 minutes old. It would fall apart. It had to, it had to give the appearance, and it had to give the structure of millions or billions of years. Otherwise, it wouldn't have worked. So we can sit here and we can carbon date and we can, you know, run isotopes through it. We can do all these other things. But the fact of the matter is when God created it, he created it in that position, in that age, in that perceived what, what Justin, the, the new word I got out of Justin a couple of weeks ago or last week was perceived age. Uh, Justin, tell him the, 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 the thing you were talking about with the fish. That was amazing. Oh, it was just, uh, you know, because I, I was raised like you, you know, I didn't care about the age of the earth. I didn't care about anything. I was programmed to believe millions and billions of years, even became a Christian. Okay, the Bible says this, that's fine. I don't really care how. I'm worried about other things. Um, but once I started to become interested and read books and challenged with my way of, of seeing things, um, I eventually got to a literal question, which was um, when... So everybody's familiar with the story of the feeding of the 5,000, where with a couple of fish and a couple of loaves, they, million, I'm sorry, thousands of people were, were fed. But as the disciples pulled those fish and those breads out of the basket, how old were those fish and bread? Well, if they were miraculously created instantaneously, they were zero seconds old. But to your point, they had a perceived age of a fish being nine months old or two years old, the bread being freshly baked right. in an oven that didn't exist. Because yeah, we didn't even talk the about desert. the wheat that would have taken to be ground to make the and bread. And the heat and, and the, heat. And the, yeah. and the um, delicious uh, um, honey oh, Dude, honey, man, I'm, uh, I'm sitting here, my mouth is watering. Right those uh, Texas Roadhouse biscuits. Oh, got it. Um, yeah. but, the, but the perceived age of the fish and the loaves were months, years old. But they were literally zero seconds old. So they were they were created miraculously and instantaneously for a purpose. Uh, and and could the earth have been similarly created? And and here's here's my point. And I've lost my text, but I've got some of it here. My point is that is when we start, and 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 Kyle, I don't disagree with anything you say as far as geologically scientifically and um secularly we we look at these things and they look to be uh, five million years old or ten thousand years old or you know this i mean yes i agree that from a secular scientific mind that has no faith whatsoever obviously these are the conclusions we would come to but the problem we have is that if if we discount genesis if we discount the flood then, then we run into a problem. For example, in Matthew twenty four thirty six, Jesus is talking, 
And he's talking to the people about being watchful. And he says, no one knows about the day or the hour, not even the angels in heaven, nor the son, but only the father. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the son of man. So Jesus just referred back to Noah, okay, in the scriptures, because obviously this has already been written. It's in the Old Testament. So Jesus referred back to the scripture of Noah. He does this again in Matthew 19, 4, when he refers back to Genesis and says, therefore, they were, uh, just as it was in the creation, they were, they, were, they were formed male and female. So he's referring back to Genesis 1, when the creation of the world and the creation of Adam and Eve. So Jesus is referring back to Genesis as though it is fact, as though it is a, a matter of knowledge. He's giving, he's giving these people a reference point. You've read this, you know this, and just as in those days, just as it was with Noah, and he's talking about the end of the world coming, you're not going to know when it's coming. Okay? So if Jesus, who we all believe in, everyone sitting around here and, and you over there, all believe in Jesus. We all believe that he was the son of God. We all believe that he came and, and he ministered for three years. He lived for 33 years. He ministered for three of those. He was crucified. He died on a cross for our sins, for our transgressions. He was buried. He rose on the third day. He defeated death and is now seated at the right hand of the Father. If we believe all of that, then don't we have to believe the things he says? And if he refers back to Genesis as creation and he refers back to Noah as an actual cataclysmic event, then don't we as believing Christians have to take what we perceive in our own understanding, because even the Bible says do not rely on your own understanding, that we have to take what we perceive and kind of set it aside and say, okay, that may be what it looks like, but if I'm a believer in Jesus and I'm a believer in God, then I have to believe that it was this way. And here's where it scares me. Here's the verse that, that, that kind of scares me and makes me go, yeah, I'm going to believe whatever you tell me. We're back in Matthew 7, 21 through 23. Matthew 7, 21 starts off with, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name did we not drive out demons and perform miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. So Jesus is saying all those who claim to be Christian and all those who claim to be out there in my name doing my thing, but you don't really have me in your heart and you really don't believe I am who I am, on the day of judgment, I'm going to tell you, I don't know who you are. And all that stuff you thought you knew, that's going to be gone. So for me, and I think for Justin, we have to look at it from a paradigm of Genesis and not a paradigm of millions or billions of years what say you if your microphone works <laughs> and it doesn't it's not working the microphone's not working we're not cutting him off on purpose i promise i have made some great points today <laughs> <laughs> my microphone my, my, <laughs> shut up i was just gonna say i will concede that there is a chance that when I meet St. Peter, he's going to say, you know what? You were wrong about a lot of stuff. Right. I'm just saying. 
I could be wrong. Oh, I can guarantee I you beyond a shadow of a doubt, we're all going to meet. Well, I don't know if the whole St. Peter is standing at the yeah, early gates is true, but I mean, metaphorically, whatever you want to call it, we're all going to walk into heaven and go, damn, we got it all wrong. There's no doubt in my mind that's going to happen. Okay. But in that, never will anyone be able to say to me, hey, we told you the truth. We gave you the truth right there in writing and you rejected it. No one will be able to say that to me. <laughs> no, your microphone. I'm afraid working. to try. <laughs> your microphone's working. <laughs> So, I mean, yeah, I mean, you've made it clear what your your paradigm is. And, you know, you, the other day we discussed this and every, every one of the bits of Genesis are important because it all builds on itself. Correct. And that's kind of the way I feel about rocks. <laughs> they build on themselves. But obviously it's a little little bit different in the significance of the two, but, um, you know, I, I agree that Genesis builds on itself. And I, and what's really interesting to me is the order of the things as they were created is very consistent with the order of things that were found in geology. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And they so, so if God was going to create a world and in that world, he's going to create laws of physics and, and laws of thermodynamics and laws of nature, he created all of the laws as he created the earth, would his creation not fall within those laws? Now, it's going to be on a much faster time scale but it's still going to fall within those laws that he has now created, which means that yes, to the untrained eye or to the trained eye, I'd rather say it's going to look as though it was perfectly formed exactly the way it should have been. And just like you said, as you read through Genesis, that's the exact same way that it's, it's, it's created is exactly the way it's presented in nature. And remember that that text was written over 4,000 years ago. Not by someone, you know, some geologist that, that knows all of this and is able to backpedal up and, and create some cultish thing and go, ha, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to write this story and everyone's going to believe it because I'm so smart and I know how the world was created really and so I'm going to put it in this way, but it's going to sound like it was only six days. No, it was by a, a self-proclaimed stuttering guy who, who wasn't that intelligent, you know, that, that wrote this down by, is inspired by God. 4,000 and some odd years ago. And if all jealous Genesis is relevant, I mean, the very first time Noah is mentioned, he's, he's mentioned in a sentence where God shows up to him and starts describing his heart regarding humanity and mankind in, in verse 13 of chapter 6 says then God said to Noah the end of all flesh has come before me for the earth is filled with violence because of them and so forth and so on so and if Jesus references 
Noah as a living, living human historical figure, and we all recognize the authority of Jesus and, and accuracy of his life to the point where we literally put our life kind of in his hands by faith. I mean, that, that's a powerful sentence to me. All flesh has come before me. Uh, I'm sorry, the end of all flesh has come before me. So was that over time? Was that immediate? Was that a one-time event? Um, to Kyle's point, was that many regionals? Doesn't indicate that indicates God was mad at that point, told Noah to create a boat for a specific event. That event happened and all flesh perished except for those on the ark right they were made to start over so guys we're going to end it here uh but here's what i'm going to do um i don't i don't feel like we've come to a good end but we've come to a long podcast here so what i'm going to do is i'm going to end the podcast here we're going to end it the way we always end it by saying thank you very much to our listeners we appreciate you um we uh have got some great ratings and some great reviews from you guys uh, that may change after this podcast I'm not sure I hope not um, and um, you know I would encourage you to please uh, subscribe uh, if you can to give us uh, you know your, your feedback and to, and to give us those five stars if, if you think we're worth it and most of all most of all pass it on to someone else and share this with someone else so that they can enjoy it too um, you can reach us at uh, exploringtheway21 at gmail.com you can find us on Facebook at Exploring the Way 21, and our website is www.exploringtheway.info. Kyle, I want to thank you for uh, letting us beat up on you a little bit and, uh, and taking it. And um, we're, what we're going to do now is we're going to go ahead and turn this podcast over. And then I think I'm going to add an after-the-show uh, podcast that's just going to be us just talking. Um, and... I'll uh, I'll put it, I'll I'll release it the same day as I release this, and it won't be near as edited and it won't be near as clean and it won't be near as good. Of course, the microphones will probably still screw up, but that's all right. Um, <laughs> and uh, and that way, if you want to hear uh, what what Kyle has brewing in his brain right at the moment, because I'm I'm watching him and he's been staring at a computer monitor for quite a while now, um, and I'm not sure what epiphanies he's coming to, but I guess we will find out uh, on after the show. Thanks for joining us, guys. Kyle, thank you. Appreciate you, man. Stay tuned. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low-net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.